All right, if you've got a Bible, let's grab it. Galatians 2 is where we're going to be looking today. And uh, anyone here love the book of Galatians? Yeah, it's an amazing book. It's the first book that this guy Paul, who, uh, who wrote it, it was the first book he ever wrote um, to the first churches that he ever planted. Okay, so just try and get inside his head. I mean, if you care about your children or, you know, your spiritual children, Paul was a father who loved these little spiritual families that he'd started all across this area called Galatia now, which is now like southern Turkey. And he really cared about them. He really, really cared about them. And you either love this book or you hate it. It's kind of Marmite, you know, uh, some people don't like it. They go, oh, it's too emotional. It's too kind of fiery or too intellectual. You know, it's, you have to use your brain a lot when you read this letter. So some people don't like it. Some people absolutely love it. Martin Luther adored this book. He was a really important guy from the past. Uh, John Bunyan loved this book. So it kind of, it tends to somewhat divide people. But it's an amazing, I, I love it personally. I, that's my cards are, I love, I love all the Bible, to be honest with you, but... It's an amazing, amazing book. And um, verse 1 of chapter 3, if you've got the Bible, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today. This is, I think, for me anyway, when I was looking at this in my, in my times with the Lord, um, this was the verse that captivated me. I'm not preaching on Galatians 3 today, but it is, uh, it is for me the key verse. Verse 1, uh, that the whole thing comes together. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? We'll be looking at this properly next week. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. It's this central verse that, that to be a Christian means you live your life absolutely in awe of this portrait. This word here, portrayed. He was portrayed. And this idea that Paul painted like a picture, a portrait of Jesus at the cross when he was with them. When, through his preaching, through his teaching, he did that. And, and he's so passionate that they would be a people whose great obsession of life is this portrait. That's the thing that we live our life by. In our mind's eye, it's about the portrait of a God who hung on a cross, who hung on a cross so that you never need to, who was killed and crucified so that you might have life. It's, this great, it's the great hinge, I think, for the whole thing. And today we're going to be carrying on looking at that. And he uses these strong words, doesn't he? Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Who has got into your thinking and changed the way that you live your life? And today we see that in Galatians 2, Paul really is, is really dealing with this same issue. So we're going to read here from verse 15 of chapter 2. We're going to dive in here. We ourselves, this is Paul, who was a Jew by ethnicity. He's been talking about Peter in the previous verses, who was also a Jew. So he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Just to be clear, he, he's made it clear that he thinks every human ultimately is a sinner needing that requirement. But he's using it almost like speech marks uh, for reasons that will come clear. Yet, here we go, the verse that we're going to really focus on today. We know that a person, Jew or Gentile, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ 
not by works of the law. So he's saying the same thing again, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul's kind of saying the same thing again and again and again. And, and if you're like me, when I read this, I kind of get it, sort of, you know, understand it. But it doesn't always move me emotionally. I won't ask for a show of hands. And yet Paul, I would be as bold to say, perhaps this is the most concise summary of the thing that fueled this man emotionally as well as intellectually. That first bit of the verse here, I'll read it again. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And what you need to just sort of know about this letter is, as I've mentioned, it is fiery. It is a fiery, fiery going for the jugular in love of a people who were starting to attempt to be justified by their works, i.e. by the things that they did, rather than by trusting in what someone else, Jesus Christ, has done. And why is he so passionate about this? Why is Paul so particularly passionate that they wouldn't go down that line? I think maybe one of the key reasons why Paul was so passionate about this was because it was something that he himself had pursued. His whole life, as we're going to hear, was about trying hard in simple terms. About really trying. And we're going to see how amazingly zealous he was. And it's not that thing in life, isn't it? If you're, particularly, you know, if you're a parent, not, you'll get this even if you're not a parent, but when you're a parent, you start to see weaknesses in your kids. And if they're the same ones that you have, you see it quicker, you see that threat much quicker, and you can often be more desirous and passionate about making sure that's not in your life, oh little daughter, as soon as possible. So for me, for example... In fact, me and Josie, we're both prone to be very over-responsible for whatever reason. We just feel everything's our responsibility. And I won't name it who, but one of our daughters, in the last few months, we just suddenly spotted, wow, she, she kind of, if there's anything not quite right, she can easily be prone to make that something that she needs to solve. She, she easily can put that on her shoulders. And it's funny how the other two are not like that, but this one is particularly. And I think because of Josie and I, it's like we spot it straight away. And there is a degree to which we're, darling, no, 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 listen, please, pop it. Do not get that in your mind. These problems are real, but that's not because of anything that you've done or need to do. And I think there's something that of Paul in this letter, one of the reasons he's so passionate about, and we're going to feel the passion today, is he just, he, he's been down that road. He's been down that road, and he knows it's not right. So there's a couple of things today then that, that I think we're going we're gonna to look at. We need to know ourselves, all right? Know ourselves, but then we need to know Jesus. We need to know God. And I think one of the ways you can summarize all of this, this whole book and this verse that unlocks the book really is this. Is, do you know what? There is actually only one winner. In this whole life, there is only ultimately one winner. And you can guess whose name that is. It's not yours and it's not mine. And so we need to know that we are prone to try and make this life about us. And Paul can see that in their hearts because it's something he did. And listen, if you make the focus of your life yourself, subtly, what we're going to see today is that it is, 
It is cataclysmically, and I use that word deliberately, it is cataclysmically dangerous. But if we learn bit by bit, like Paul, to actually gaze at someone else in your heart, this portrait, this amazing Jesus Christ crucified, if our lives are increasingly actually not focusing on ourselves and this great true winner, which is Jesus, do you know there is real freedom? There is real freedom. Paul was a man who lived it. He was the most glorious man who was free. He was once bound, bound up, and God genuinely freed him. He was bound with free. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to come and to move. Lord, we love you. And we know that you want to change us and to help us to become those who are genuinely, Lord God, just gripped by you and not us. Lord, we know that the great secret of this life is knowing that you're the true hero. You're the one, the strong one. You're the wise one. You're the compassionate one. You're the saver and the saviour. You're the one that, that, Lord, goes before us. And we love you and we need you. Amen. Amen. I do believe today the Lord's going to bring liberty. Liberty. Liberty to two hearts. But we require, as he says here, look, how do we get there? Verse, verse 16, the first, first little phrase here. He says, yet we know. Okay? He's like, now come on, we need to know this. right? You do know this, O Gentiles, but you need to know it again. Martin Luther famously said with the gospel, you need to, I think he said, bash it into your head or something like that, worse that effect every single day. Because we all slip as humans from making Jesus, Jesus Christ crucified and raised again, that portrait, we all slip from making that the big thing into this crazy, crazy bewitching, strong words. Or we actually make ourselves the center. And so he starts by saying, yet yeah, we know, here we go, first bit is a, a very passionate, very passionate um, warning from, from focusing on ourselves. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Now, let me just explain what he's talking about here. Works of the law, this reference here is to the Mosaic law. So God had given, through this man Moses, hundreds of years er- earlier to the people of Israel, a series of laws. There was the moral law, the Ten Commandments, you probably know about those, or at least vaguely. And then there was the ceremonial law as well. Many, many different laws that you had to abide by in order to be holy. And this was something that for many, many years obviously had marked out the people of Israel. To be a Jew meant that you were someone who was circumcised. It was, you were someone who took the Sabbath day genuinely seriously. It meant you ate certain foods and you avoided other foods. You, you avoided certain things that God had said, I don't like, and you pursued certain things that he said, I do like. This was this law that he's referring to here, by works of the law. Now, in simple terms, virtually every, every other religion of the world, even now, still has this basic idea that it is ultimately about you and a focus on yourself before a holy God. That's the issue. You need to do certain things in order to be justified by him justified. That word is huge. To be justified. Do you feel justified today? You might think, this isn't an issue for me, Tom. Really? Really? So let me ask this. How do you justify yourself now? How do you feel good about yourself? How do you feel 
worthy in your life. It may not be that you struggle with another religious message which says you have to justify yourself through trying hard. But probably, in fact, maybe definitely, every single person in this room is prone to find another path of feeling good enough, to feeling justified, to feeling righteous is another word that could easily be translated there. Feeling right. So it could be, for example, your physicality. Yeah, this time of year, (laughs) post-Christmas, we can often subtly be those who are somewhat justified, feel good enough by losing some some, some weight through some pain. Or maybe it's that you're naturally a good-looking person and subtly at the back of your mind, that's a way that you feel good about yourself. Maybe you're funny, maybe you're really sociable. And actually your identity, the way that you feel okay, is actually by that type of work. Maybe you're creative. And so your creativity is actually unconsciously something that you can almost find makes you feel okay. You put your hope there. Maybe it's your intellect. For a few of us, that might be my intellect. Or my ability to plan and to organize and to avoid things going wrong. Maybe it's your class. Unconsciously, my friends are all of a certain class. Working class, middle class. Maybe it's your skin color. Maybe it's your parents. Whatever it might be, there is actually, I believe, in this world, it's, it's, it's not that, in a sense, the Jewish religion, in that sense, was unique. All of us are prone as humans to try and to be justified through our works. It's fascinating, uh, in the last few weeks, where lots of famous people have been dying. It's fascinating, isn't it, how the thing that we hear about with David Bowie or Alan Rickman or others, even Lemmy, is the things that they produced, the things, their works. And the reason that we're so shocked and amazed that these people are mere mortals is because of the works. Well, the amount of albums they produced, the amount of number one hits they, that they did. The reason that we're bothered is because this guy was a phenomenal actor, and so we feel it. Now, I'm not against the arts. I'm not against acting. I'm not against music. I love it. But there is this, there is this what happens is we're connecting works with a person, and somehow that changes our view of them, doesn't it? And we do it with ourselves. Now, is that a big deal? I want to say today, if Paul were here in the flesh, I, I think he would lovingly, how can I put this, be in our faces. There's so many reasons why when that cancer, if I use that word, dare to use it, that gets into our hearts where we are actually justified by things around us. It, you see, it, 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 it starts to kill us. There's, there's death around it, is what Paul says in this letter. It's a death thing. It's a death thing. So first of all, we start to kind of die inside. For example here, um, he says here in verse 19, look with me. Through the law, so when you see the law, for simple terms, just think through that thing of trying hard, performance, whatever it is that you find your particular identity in. Through that way of living, I truly became alive and satisfied. No, exactly. What did he say? Through the law, I died. I died to the law. You see, for Paul, actually, he's saying, when I pursued that type of life, where it was subtly about 
me and subtly about actually trying hard, it led to a kind of death. It led to a kind of death. The law did not bring what it promised. The law was ultimately, obviously, holy and perfect. This is how you need to be. But that's where it ended. It didn't actually bring any freedom. It, it exposed the problem that we are, none of us are like that, but it didn't lend a hand to actually help anyone to do that. And so it just, as it were, was this continual reminder that you're not good enough. So wherever it is that you find your proneness, to try and be good enough, maybe your parents, subtly you love them, you respect them, but there's an expectation that you would be a certain way. When that becomes this thing that you're really living for, it doesn't bring life, it brings death. When anything like that becomes the thing that ultimately you're trying to find your identity, the thing that you're seeking after, it leads internally to a type of death, a type of exhausting ongoing thing. I wrote this, uh, just to be self-disclosing, in my journal uh, a little few days ago. This is what it looks like for me when I'm subtly making myself the center and I'm living in that way. It says, it means I can't stop. Perfectionism is clear in me when, it's, when this is how I'm living. A drivenness, a need to win, an anger, when people don't deliver, I can become critical, jealous over others' promotions or blessing. I start to believe certain things are mine rather than everything being God's. An addiction to success and others knowing about my success. An inability to celebrate when others do well. I go on and on and on, but for the sake of time and not to depress you, I see that. It leads to a certain death. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, a beautiful Gentile church that was birthed so gloriously in this portrait of Jesus who's done everything, you're now starting to make your life subtly about what you do. And the first thing is it leads to a kind of internal death. But secondarily, it actually leads to you being, listen, it's even worse, a bringer of a kind of death. Look with me in a previous few verses Uh, Chapter 1, verse 13. This is when Paul was at his most like his old self, okay? Being someone who was pursuing works, trying hard. This is the description of himself. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. How terrifying is that? (laughs) Listen, this was Paul when he was, in his own mind, deeply convinced that by following after this path of trying hard, he ended up being a killer. He ended up being a bringer of actual death to people. It says that Paul was present at various executions. He was someone who wanted people dead. He was so convinced that they were off track. He became someone who not only was experiencing that internal death that we looked at, he was someone who was starting to bring a kind of death. I wonder if Paul had nightmares. I don't know, totally speculating. But I wonder if he ever had nightmares about the times 
when he had dragged people, Christians, from their houses. He dragged them out and he had had them executed. I mean, we, we know the news right now, don't we? We know that this kind of thing is happening all the time. Just, just think, if you use your imagination, Paul had been someone who had pursued that. For him, listen, this, double, double, this other path in life of being someone who attempted to be justified by works, that was not just some small issue. That wasn't like, why is he so bothered about circumcision? Why is he so bothered about these small things? The reason he's so bothered is because he knew that, that is just the, that's just the beginning. When you start to make your whole life actually about things that ultimately are to do with you and your focus is on yourself, for him, he's like, that is how I ultimately led to being someone who, with, with apparently all good conscience, was literally seeing people killed. It's shocking, isn't it? And so Paul here is so passionate that this church in Galatia would understand this is, this is not a small issue. When we start to see in our lives any trace of being justified by our own works, then it is a path, not just to internal death, but ultimately that we can be those who kind of bring a kind of death around us. See, in my journal entry, when I'm, when I'm living in this way, what it means is I end up being subtly critical of others very quickly. I can be very hard. I, I turn into a bit of a perfectionist. I can tend to try and use people or be very harsh and quick to see people in a negative way. I wonder if you're in any way like that. We, we, it, it brings a kind of death, is what he's saying, to ourselves and to others. But it also, even more significantly, look with me here in verse 21. If we live our lives trying to be the winners, trying to be the center, verse 21 what happens is we end up, look at this phrase here, we nullify the grace of God. Because if being good enough, being righteous, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you see what he's saying? If we try and functionally, in our lives, feel good about ourselves, be good, feel good in our average days, be justified, rather than our justification coming through Jesus' work, what we're actually doing, in effect, is saying, Jesus, your work on the cross, is, it was interesting, it was helpful, but really I find my sense of well-being and being justified through my own life. And it's the gravest offence to Jesus, because it ultimately means that we're saying, you died for no reason. That's shocking, isn't it? Can you feel how shocking is his argument? Yeah, he's not, he's not just saying, oh, please don't do that. Don't focus too much on yourselves. And what you, he's saying this is, it is an a absolute cancer. It's a killer. You turn into a killer, maybe not literally, but you become a nightmare dad. You become a nightmare husband. You become a nightmare in work because you're subtly, well, I have achieved my own good things and therefore you could. And if you haven't done, I'm going to be hard on you. And you end up, as it says here, you actually, what happens is you, you start to rob Jesus of the glory of the cross. There's a very famous story of um, William Sangster, who was an amazing guy from the past, who was talking to a dying woman. And he said to her, are you ready to meet your maker? What will you say to him? And she famously said, I will say to him, 
I was a widow. I had five kids. And I gave everything I could to raising my kids. Everything. I did not have time for church or God or religion. And this is what I will say to God. I will show him my hands. My hard-working hands. And I will say, and he will understand. And William Sangster said to her, well, then it is too late for you. And she said, what do you mean? He said, because someone has already got there before, before you. Jesus, his hands have been shown to the Father. And you need to put your faith, not in your own hands, but in the hands of Christ. And he wasn't being harsh on her. He wasn't belittling the pain. He was saying that ultimately, even for someone who has worked so hard and actually had a tough life, there is ultimately only one way to know justification, to know that you are good enough. And it is through someone else. And actually, can I even say this? This this other path, knowing yourself, is this you? Can I say it's a universal condition, so it will be you? To some degree, you have to fight it. You have to spot it. You have to know it's there. Listen, it ultimately doesn't just dishonor Christ. This is even more scary. If you pursue this with your life, your life is about your own thing. Do you know, it ultimately leads to hell. It leads to hell. The Bible repeatedly warns in so many different ways that every single person, no matter how good you think you are, nobody is anywhere near even a billion trillion light years of the goodness that is required to get it before Father. Matthew 18, very famous parable of an unforgiving servant. It's a story Jesus told, and it gripped me when I read it recently. It talks about a king who wants to settle his debts, and he, um, he called one of the servants to him. And I think he said he owed him 10,000 talents. I t- a talent was 20 years wages, right? So I did a quick, I got my calculator out. 20 years wages times 10,000. This is what it came up on my iPhone calculator. E. You know, it just says E. It's like, can't compute, can't compute. Too big a number. So this is deliberately this parable when Jesus told it. He was trying to say, listen, the, the amount that every human owes God, that is in debt to God, the amount of offense that we have all caused God, is incalculable. It's beyond logical comprehension. It isn't a small issue. And that's why then, when the unforgiving servant later on, he then tries to claim what's owed him, a much smaller amount, the fury of the king is unleashed, rightly. Because the mercy that that first servant has received is so unimaginable. And when I read that, I was just gripped with a sense of, it was just like, you know those moments where you just get revelation. You're like, oh my word, every single human in this world who has ever existed is, is so profoundly far off being good enough. So far off. You know, beyond the difference between the ant and the sky. That if we trust in our own hands, if we trust in it. And listen, you might say, Tom, this is not an issue for me. I trust in the cross. Well, let me ask you these questions then. Is being justified by your own works any kind of an issue? Let me say this to you. How do you respond when you're criticized? Really honestly, do you justify yourself? Out loud, have you managed to manage your sin to the degree so that you can just keep it internal, but it's still there, the little voice? You're a rubbish teacher. You're a bad father. You're not a good daughter. You don't love your neighbor. You're weak in this area. Now, I'm saying this to you 
because I'm trying to provoke in you, you to see. When you hear that, when someone says it, now I'm not saying I want us all to be mean to each other, but this is my natural response. I think, oh, this is, this is just some technical theological argument. Well, actually, this is the gospel. This is the center. This is what it's all about, is if I am justified by my works, when my wife lovingly says to me, Tom, can I be honest? Slapdash. You're slapdash. Rather than going, I'm not slapdash. Actually, I am slapdash at times. And when I, when I see it in my heart, when I, when I see that defense, listen, although it's painful, we need to be a people who learn that that is God's grace showing us if you are quick to defend yourself, to leap your, to your own defense, you have still got a long, long way, like me, to grow from being someone who is in the grip of trying to justify myself by my works. And it is the absolute air that we breathe. It is the air that we breathe. That's why, we, that's why we're amazed when famous people who have so much works attached to them do die. And we're like, wow. And the, mess, the subtle message is, will your life be like that? Will you have so many works? Maybe it's as a parent. And your, your area that you've gone from being a good thing to a God thing is just how you, how you want your kids to grow up. Because that's how you feel good about yourself. Or maybe it's your marriage. Or maybe it's your singleness. Or the size of house you have. Whatever it might be, it's, it's everywhere. This message that we are so aware of. And yet look at Paul. Look again, look at the way he describes himself here in, in, the, in chapter 1. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I was zealous. Do you see what he's doing there? He's taking the mickey out of himself. He's able just to say, I was a wally. I was someone who was so pursuing this other life, and yet I was so off beam. And what that is, is that's a man who has gone from taking himself terribly seriously and finding his identity in being a Pharisee of Pharisees and being the super-duper leader dude to actually realizing, oh my word, I am just a mess. I'm just a mess. I am never going to be justified by my own stuff, by my own life, by my own works. I can never do that. And he is someone who has been ruined by the grace of God. So that I love it. There's times where you just look at Paul's life. He ends, you know, he doesn't seem to ever get married, doesn't seem to ever have a house. He ends his life brutally murdered in some stinky jail somewhere. And when he's facing death, he's singing his heart out. It's this amazing image of a man who's so free to look at his own life and say, do you know what, in many ways I wasn't a good preacher. I had thorns, I had, I had things in me that weren't, stri- that weren't great. I was weak. I came to you in weakness and trembling. It's a man who's so free. He says, I was the chief of sinners. Wow! We say, oh, that's a nice polite... No, he literally said, the older I get, the more I see my areas of sinfulness and weakness. That's a man who can detach from himself and know he's still righteous before God. It's amazing. So how did he do it? Well, the second verse here, it tells us, we're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ. It meant that his whole life was about this picture, this portrait. He literally, by the grace of God, had learnt that if your life is about yourself, it leads to death, to being a bringer of death, to robbing Christ of the glory of his death, and ultimately even potential hell. 
if you make it about yourself. But when you start to live by faith in Christ Jesus, what that means is, it starts by meaning is that the actual, think of that word faith and almost you can replace it by focus. He's saying, by focusing on Christ Jesus. It starts with your eye of your heart being daily fixed on focusing on someone else. How crazy is that? Not focused on yourself, focused on another person, on the impressiveness of this other person, on the amazement of Jesus Christ crucified for him. Are you amazed by him? Are you? Do you know him? I love the fact that for Paul, he actually was someone who had literally met Jesus. He'd seen him, maybe the color of his eyes, the shape of his face when he was riding that horse at the height of his proudness, pride. Boom! I love it. Jesus knocks him off. He appears in glory. He, li- he knew he was a tangible person. And so by faith in Jesus, it was I'm, I'm living focused on a different person. I don't care about myself. He goes on later on to say, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. Isn't that amazing? To be so obsessed with another person. Yes, Tom. Isn't it? It's so alien to me. I'm so self-obsessed. The narcissism, I confessed it to the other elders recently. I said, I'm so narcissistic. I find it so hard to sympathize with other people because I'm so obsessed with my flipping self. And I hate it. It's not okay. It's not okay for me just to go, oh, well, confess it. Feel better because of the confession. I need to change. You need to help me to change. I want to live by faith in Jesus Christ, not by justified by my works, shaken if someone criticizes me, shaken if things aren't quite perfect. I want to be rock-like because I'm actually justified by faith in someone else, in his work. Are you amazed at the work of Christ? Does it thrill your heart that he has died and he is back and he is going to make all things new? He's promised it and he's demonstrated through the raised body that he's going to do it to all of creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, guys. Hallelujah. It is actually true by faith in him. Our faith is not just some logical thing. It's a faith in an eternity that he is making new. How confident are we in another person? How confident are you in him? Let me ask you that. Do you know him? Do you, do you, are you learning day by day to follow him and to say, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands. I don't look at my hands anymore. It's your hands. I... <laughs> I, I, uh, we moved house a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and on the day of the move, 1 a.m. in the morning, I am struck down by some mysterious illness in the night, and uh, it was just, it really was awful, my, just in so much pain in, in my tummy, and, um, and so, you know, put the van, Josie's dad's down, this is not a good day to be ill, we're moving house, and that whole day, I was just sort of flopping around, like, oh, I've got to go to sleep again. Uh, you know, move a bit of a sofa and then sort of collapse in exhaustion. All I could do was, I was the guy licensed to drive the van, so I could just about do that. But then we'd drive a load and then I'd sort of collapse on, on you know, the floor or whatever in the new house. But you know what? It just happened. Yes, because of people who helped, but most of all, because of my wife. Now, Josie, if you know her, she genuinely... She's not perfect. She isn't Jesus. But she is incredible. She's incredible. And she was in her element. All the boxes, all the places for everything. It was a sort of weird part of her. Like the fact that I was on the ground. (laughs) Here we go. 
<laughs> now, this is there was a point at three in the afternoon where I woke up after being asleep for two hours. I was in the new house, you know, bare, lying on this sort of bed, and I was like, I am pathetic. I'm just pathetic. I can't even help move. And you know what? It was all glory to her. And oh, I was in it. Sam and Ollie as well helped, and Josie's dad. But what I'm trying to say was, it was a it was a kind of picture of the gospel. Do you understand? The way that I got from our old house to the new house was entirely because of someone else. Entirely, I was this weak, pathetic person who didn't contribute, and I was being moved to this amazing house that, in God's grace, He's letting us rent even again is like another expression of the gospel it's ridiculous I'm thinking I can't even get into the house how pathetic am I and I felt God say to me son the place you're going to is because of grace and the way that you're getting there is because of grace you're held by grace hallelujah and my faith in another person that's a tiny picture of my growing faith in Jesus Christ he's made a way he's done everything it is him and not just through looking at him it's faith in him Faith is not just about focusing on Jesus, although it is. It's faith. You get into Jesus, it says. You're in Christ through faith. You are actually spiritually now joined with him eternally, robustly, never to be reversed. So that his amazing impressiveness now is counted to you. Which means whenever you feel most like a failure. Now listen, teachers. You are being absolutely killed at the moment by the government. You are. I talk to teachers and they're just being crushed. They're working so hard to try and get a sense of success. Yeah, to try and get some kind of attainment. And, and, and God bless you. But this is it. Do you know how you're righteous? Do you know how you're justified ultimately? Through who? Yeah! Can I be as bold to say this? This frees you to fail. And I'm not glorifying failure and weakness and being a... But I am actually saying, if you don't get the gospel, when the gospel, you should get to the point where you go, wait a minute, doesn't this ultimately mean I can completely fail and still be totally righteous because of his work? Yes, I failed on moving day. (laughs) Okay, I didn't do well. And God's grace, it's about another person. It's about this wonderful Jesus. It never stops being about him. This isn't some intro talk on Alpha. This is the very air you breathe. And every day you have to daily allow God's grace to detox you from making the focus on yourself to the focus on him. There is only one glorious winner and it is Jesus Christ. It is him. He is the strong one. He's the impressive one. It's all about him. In heaven, think about heaven a lot. Think about eternity a lot. It really won't be about The times that you've broken into a sweat and tried hard. My moments of glory. Think about them right now. The moments you're most proud of. It won't be about them. In his kindness, God seems to suggest that in heaven, the things that we've done for the right motives for Jesus' glory will be rewarded. But can I boldly say, I don't think that will be the main event. You know? I don't think it will be what the saints of eternity will be. Wow! Tom did that in his life. Amazing! It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about him. And I don't want to be embarrassed on that day. I don't want that. I, don't, I genuinely am saying, please keep me accountable. I don't want to live my life deluded that this is about me. Because it's about Jesus. It's about him. It's about this incredible person 
I want my kids to grow up knowing that. It means I parent differently. Recently, I couldn't believe it. One of our children said, um, oh, she came back from school. She said, oh, I only got 59. I was like, oh, out of 100. She went, no, no, out of 60. And that, that terrified me. I thought, you are very young and you've got one wrong. And she literally, her whole demeanor, that's from breathing the air of being justified by works. And it's the air you're about to go back into. And I love you. And, and, I, and I, I just say, before you go on, put a big oxygen tank on. Yeah? Rubbish metaphor. Spontaneous. What I'm saying is don't breathe it. Don't breathe it. Do you know, I ended up saying to my kids, and you might think I'm a rubbish parent. I don't care. Because I'm not justified by your applause. I'm not. Do you know what I said to them? I said, listen, my darlings, you're average. You're average. And they're like, what? I said, work hard for the glory of God. Do your best as worship unto him. You might come top of your class at this age. I did, primary school. And then I went to secondary school. And it all changed. There were real geniuses at the secondary school. And then they went to university. And they realized, oh, I'm not even close to the true geniuses. Whatever area, sports, whatever, I said to them, I love you, I'm for you, but you will be average. And it's okay. And I was doing my best, and I'm not saying it's perfect parenting technique at all. I think they know to dream big and go for it. We're quite enthusiastic. <laughs> That's yeah, they breathe. But I'm saying don't do that to get righteous, to get justified. It will kill you. Embrace it now. Applaud when others do well. How do you do on that? Are you like me who tends to rejoice when others are mourning? And I can mourn when others rejoice. Or are you someone able to go, fantastic, I rejoice when you rejoice. And I mourn when you mourn. Don't you want that for your life? There's only one path, friends. It is through faith in Jesus. It is through our life. Let's stand to our feet. I want to pray for us. We've only got two minutes left and I want the Spirit in these last couple of moments. Because we're using our minds, using our heads. But I want all of our beings just gripped by the Spirit. Can we get the band back? It'd be good just to finish with a song if we've got time. As they're doing that, I'm going to pray for us. Just close your eyes. Please don't let anything distract you. Lord, we thank you so much that the gospel never gets old. Right now, if you know that you have subtly slipped like me into a place of making life about yourself, if you can see defensiveness as a, as a significant thing that often creeps into your hand, right now I want you to put your hand up high as a sign that you don't care about your reputation. You do not care. You're going to get a death blow. You're almost punching it as you do that. Well done. Well done. Whoa. Pala la bush. Right now. Spirit of Jesus. Spirit of Jesus, wash over us. Spirit of the supremacy of the real winner. Ruin us. Ruin us. Ruin us right now. For every hand that is held high, I break. I break the wrong expectations that we should be winners. And that everything should go right. Bless you, God, when you do let things go well. Bless you, God, when you do give us those desires. But we do not wave our fist in bitterness when you don't. Lord, we will not be those who are justified 
by great Ofsted remarks or comments. We will not be justified through continual promotion in your life. For some of you, listen, you need to have the Lord's heart that you will not be promoted, even though you could be. And the reason is, is you're in the right place. The air you breathe will say, keep being promoted. And the Spirit of God is saying to you, even right now, settle it today. Settle it today. Listen, every type of job done to the glory of God is an honourable thing. Don't breathe the air that promotion is necessarily right. Embrace it if he says it. But I feel for some of you this morning, genuinely, there is a sense of contentment he's giving you. A really wonderful contentment that you can do the most humble of jobs, the most humble of jobs, and it be to the glory of God. You are not justified, sister or brother. You are not justified by your works. I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, I really pray it for a free church, a free people, a people who will bring this atmosphere, this oxygen of grace into their workplaces. For some of you, you know you've been critical with your workmates or your uni friends. And it's because you've actually slipped back into a trying hard thing. And right now, you're just repenting of that. The Spirit's showing you it. Some of you have been really like that with your spouses. And, and, and it, there is quick mercy today. There is immediate forgiveness. But do ask him, say, Lord, I know I've seen that today. Let his grace just melt you at the cross, at the cross, at the cross. He did it. He's, his work will always outshine our work beyond all comparison. Let us be ready for eternity today, Lord. Not deluded, Lord Jesus, that we are the center. You are the center.